you know, school districts, aside from the networking attacks, were very vulnerable to, you know, social engineering, phishing attacks and stuff like that. So we have to be on our game when it comes to that, because that's where a lot of our issues stem from. And a lot of people to this day still fall for it. Imagine you recently started a new job as head of networking and security at Burnaby School District 41. That's one of the largest school districts in British Columbia. And just as you're getting used to the place, well, all hell breaks loose. Hi, I'm Doug Thompson. And today on Let's Converge, we're talking primary schools and cyber threats and how one district is fighting back. Consider these numbers, 4,000. That's the number of teachers and staff who work at Burnaby. 25,000. That's the number of students whose sensitive data is on the line. And 19. 19? Oh, oh COVID-19. This drove all these students and staffers to their homes for remote learning. The challenge, many of these folks lack adequate home computers. So an additional 9,000 school devices were sent home with them. This was the challenge for Alwyn Ribeiro back in 2020. Alwyn quickly realized the tough spot he was in. He and his team lacked visibility into what these devices were up to, not to mention their patching status and antivirus software. And then there was the entirely new threat he had never encountered before. Coming from the world of business, he was used to fending off cyber criminals, but now he also had to anticipate the wily schemes and shenanigans of would-be student hackers who all saw this as a chance to infiltrate his network as a hilarious joke or, even more likely, a badge of honor. Cybersecurity at primary schools is serious business. In 2021, ransomware attacks struck 73 school districts covering nearly 1,000 schools. And these attacks, unfortunately, are on the rise. But not at Burnaby, thanks in part to a proactive strategy that Alwyn has helped deploy over the last few years. Welcome to the podcast, Alwyn. How you doing? I'm very good, Doug. How are you? I'm better than I deserve. Part of what intrigues me about your story is not just how you took on this new job at the start of a crisis, but the fact that you did so with no experience in the field of education. Yeah, so uh, kind of an interesting story. Um, actually, my uh, IT background is um, actually hospitality IT. And, uh, you know, during uh, COVID, unfortunately, hospitality took a big hit. That being said, um, a lot of the hospitality organizations were downsizing their teams, their front uh, end teams, their IT teams, and just their teams across the board led me to go to the Burnaby School District. <laughs> so really, really interesting change of uh, path there and industry altogether. But that's been a great change so far. <laughs> you know, I, I find that like when I was looking at leaving Microsoft and, and Tain, the opportunity to come to Tanium came along. You know, I wasn't particularly looking for anything at the time, but I, I find that if you're a religious person, God or whoever puts things in your way sometimes to make you change directions in areas that you wouldn't have considered before. What attracted you to the school district itself? Mainly the fact uh, of the role. So my role with the school district is manager of networking and security, which encompasses the entire infrastructure and the security of the organization, which is... You know, my, my main bread and butter, I love that kind of stuff. I love tinkering. I love security. I love networking and infrastructure. So it was kind of a natural path for me to, to take on this role. Well, you know, it, it is, it is um, welcome to the, to, the, uh, to the oven because, I, you know, I find that 
that education is a prime target for all the bad guys that want to break in. And as a security person, you're sort of on the front line of that hospitality. I'm sure that there was, you know, the, the normal things, the bigger the company are, the more attraction you get. But I do find that education, especially the, the uh, primary education, the K through 12, is, is a prime target for the bad guys, especially as school starts and all that, because they know when your workload is like through the roof and all, and they will leverage that to take advantage and sort of form an attack. So I'm sure you're on a really front line now, and I don't know if you've noticed that or not. <laughs> no, most definitely. You know, school districts, aside from the networking attacks, were very vulnerable to, you know, social engineering, phishing attacks and stuff like that. So we have to be on our game when it comes to that, because that's where a lot of our issues stem from. And a lot of people to this day still fall for it. So it's it's crazy. We definitely have to be on our game on that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's common. You're you're not the only one. I, I know that from like August here, here in the States, from August through October, that's when the networks are getting, the phishing emails are just really ramped up because they know that the IT staff is busy resetting passwords and just trying to make sure the stuff is working for the semester when they don't really have time to sort of watch what's going, you know, watch the normal stuff that you'd be able to, to watch. And, and Notoriously, education is. I joke with my uh, my my peers, which are in, in in enterprise or corporations, and I say, "Look, education has half the staff and three times the users that a corporation would be <laughs> would have." You guys are, I mean, you're really the the the, the front line of. I, I would call you almost like the SEAL team, getting in, sort of keeping this. You're very lean, but very efficient at doing things. Yeah, absolutely. September is, is our busiest time where we have our computer support technicians going around there, getting the, the schools ready, getting all the technology ready. And my team does all the back end work. So my network support technicians. So we're on the back end, we're getting the networks ready, getting all the servers ready. And, you know, it's it's really hard to focus and find that balance on, you know, usability of the network and security and finding the balance on how to use both at the same time successfully. So you know, we were fortunate enough to to find the balance. Um, I have a great team that, you know, supports me and we support each other very well. And it's really all about the people, <laughs> you know, um, in the sense that, you know, you treat them well, they'll get the stuff done. And that's all you can really ask for them, right? Provide them the tools, provide them the training, and then they'll do it. <laughs> well, that That's an outstanding approach. It seems common sense, but uh, it... it it's that is a great way to do it. And, and you, you being an outsider new to education, how were you sort of, you know, how were you received? Well, that, that's an interesting question, actually. When I first got there, um, I, I was received very well, especially for my uh, experience in, in private sector and hospitality. Um, you know, going through the district's, um, I'm going to call it technology profile, I found out that the a lot of the um, services and hardware and what was actually going on was really defined by the vendors they used, and the team really didn't have any say of what was going on. So these vendors, they'd have an out-of-box solution, kind of a solution that, you know, one size fits all. And in reality, that that doesn't work. So my approach was I lined up all the vendors side by side and thought to myself, hey, do you need this service? Do you need that service? Is this redundant? If it is, get rid of it. And really, what can my team do that they haven't been doing before? And, you know, get them on that path to to learn it and, you know, succeed in it. That is somebody that, that have the courage to go in and do that is, is something that's that I want to applaud you for because 
people hate change in general. Humans, we we hate change. We like the comfortable. We like what we've been doing. And I think sometimes the the longer we've been in a IT or something like that, we get comfortable with the tools and all, like I said, that we use. And they tend to be, I heard somebody describe it as, here's my tool bag that I'm going to be carrying from place to place because that's what we know. And it's not always the best approach because there are new and better ways to do things. And a lot of times from an organizational standpoint, we're sort of locked into this old model where, you know, this, we have this tool to do X, we have this tool to do Y, and we have this tool to do Z. When there are options now to sort of let you do all of those things a lot more seamlessly and sort of play nicely together. And it sounds like that, you know, that you, you, you took that vision, you took the, okay, how do we get out of the tool business and more into the making technology just work business and making it safe? Exactly. A lot of the times with the redundant tool sets is they're redundant and nobody uses them to begin with because they're not trained in it or they don't want to know how to use it. That's the biggest pet peeve of mine. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've kind of redone our entire tool set and making the team learn it and use it. And they realize, you know, it supplements their, their abilities and makes them a more powerful player. <laughs> right. Yeah. It probably gives them more time. So, so when you can get in and you can automate things and streamline things a little bit, then it gives you more time to look at the important things. Absolutely. You know, we're in the education business. We have to focus on the kids. So getting all that time back to support them. Hey, it looks good in my book. Did you change some reporting structures? Did you sort of change that, you know, we're going to flatten the org a little bit here so that we can all sort of you know, not get in these silos? Um, I didn't really flatten the organization per se, but um, I allowed uh, two separate teams to function as one. So really our, our network services team, for instance, we had them segregated from uh, a WAN and a LAN side, and I've kind of been merging them together slowly. Okay, Alwyn, this is a acronym-free zone, so I need to do a little cyber jargon 101 here. So when we're talking about a WAN and a LAN, those are acronyms for different types of networks. For example, a LAN is a local area network that connects users in a small area, it, this, you know, such as like a classroom or in a building or something like that. And a wide area network connects those local networks across a broader area. Think about it as cross town, maybe to a different campus or something. Now, enterprises spread out across multiple locations have to master security for both. And often that's handled by a separate group of people. Now, these are the, like the Uber nerds that really know the ones and zeros and how stuff moves around the, around the world. So is this another way you were aiming it to streamline and simplify the security at Burnaby? Ultimately, you don't need that separation. <laughs> um, and um, it's just made them work together way more efficiently because they're not, you know, they're not going uh, between teams to figure out information when they can grab it themselves easily. But you're removing the silos that are in here. Yeah, uh, where again, you're all sort of working off the same data, data and, and it is right as people, especially since people have gone home, the WAN and the land now, you know, the, the border is out wherever the user is. And, you know, being able to manage that, the tools that you used, as you found that used to work great when you had castle walls and that's where everything resided, don't work so well when, when no. everybody picks up and takes the ball and goes home. <laughs> so you're moving silos and streamlining tools. I get that. Burnaby has also instituted some interesting security programs. You conduct cyber awareness campaigns, simulated phishing attacks, no, not like with a boat and a rod and reel, but, you know, phishing emails. 
And one-on-one training when you spot staff members who repeatedly fall victim to these cyber scams. How do you sell all this to senior leadership, who, who probably, by the way, are also some of the victims of these scams? So, you know, I, I've been really painting a picture on how we can save money, how we can improve the organization, make it leaner and more efficient. By finding the appropriate tools, using the appropriate people and resources, we can get there. And defining that purpose, defining that path forward is the ideal way to do it. And leadership really, really loves it when you can define that and even put monetary values to it and show them how much they'd actually be saving, right? So that was the biggest way I was able to um, get the things I needed done quickly and efficiently. I, I like the way that you look at, at that as, as a holistic type thing. And there's how do we spend the taxpayers' monies wisely <laughs> is, is one exactly. thing I appreciate. But we also can then um, share some, here's some new things that we can do because now we've freed up these other assets, be it human assets or be it financial assets. Absolutely. Yeah. With the um, final, financial assets are, are huge specifically because we are a public sector organization. We um, <laughs> we report basically to the tax, taxpayers. So the amount of money we save, we can use it more efficiently and put it where it's really needed first. Mm-hmm. Out in the classroom is where a lot of a lot of this this money goes. Exactly. Are are, are the the leadership of of you know the superintendent and and things like that? Are do they have any IT experience or background or what? What made them choose you for this role above all probably all the other people with a big educational IT background? You know what? I I believe they chose me because of my experience. Also, my ability to work with people, explain concepts simply, and to communicate well with them. That would be my biggest selling feature. A lot of IT people, you know, they talk the the jargon, the mumbo jumbo, and people don't really understand that. And executive level, they hate that. They just want plain ABC, plain English. And yeah. <laughs> know, that's, that's a great thing. I call that text-plaining, all that mumbo jumbo, <laughs> all that text-plaining. You think the hospitality industry taught you those skills and all that to be able to do that? Because you're dealing with people all the time that, that you want them to part with their money at your resort or, or things like that. Um, does, did that sort of help foment that? that so I, I, I'm, I'm a people person. So hospitality actually came natural to me. So I feel that it augmented my, my skill set in that and made it better. I was very uh, public facing before in, in hospitality. So I, I do feel that it did help me out a little bit in this. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's a great skill to have. And, and probably more people should have that. I, I, one of the skills I learned early on in my sales career, I, I took an improv class and sort of built on that because because what it taught me to do was listen to what the customer, you know, in this case here, what your end users and stuff were, were telling me and then assimilate that. And then, then that way I knew because I found out the customers tell you what they need if you just sit there and listen. <laughs> Absolutely. A, a lot of it comes down to listening. Uh, you know, a lot of people have, a lot of IT people have the problem of not listening one in through one year out the other, right? So I have to make it a point to listen and understand what's actually going on. And then you can sort of, again, sort of absorb that and, and help help adjust your plan as necessary. Exactly. So, so what's next on, on, you know, if you, if you, you know, a year from now or so, where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing that's even a little bit more impactful to, to what you're doing? 
Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, m- moving the district forward in, in terms of IT, um, you know, my, my major focus is to secure the organization even more. Um, you know, I've, I've been looking at um, potentially implementing more uh, managed uh, threat services just to see what's going on and, and how it's affecting us. And even um, potentially, uh, we, we need to bump up our, our user and, and staff training to, you know, mitigate a lot of those uh, social engineering attacks. So, um, that's that's definitely number one on my priority list, right? Because you know you could have the best security in the world, but if your people aren't trained, that's the easiest way to get in. Yeah, and you mentioned this earlier, and I meant to touch on that. It, it is a balance between usability and, and security because you can make the most secure environment on the planet, and nobody can use it. <laughs> it's secure because nobody can do anything with it. And on the other hand, giving people access to the things that they need does take sort of a different mindset and, and it's a trade-off and getting your users to understand like MFA is a good thing, you know, being doing multi-factor. I, I find that the older users, <clears throat> I won't uh, put my, well, I will put myself in that group, but we have a harder time with change than those that are younger that have sort of grown up with technology and, and understand that, you know, hey, having multi-factor is just, it's, it's a minor inconvenience, but at the end of the day, it makes you a lot more secure. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, with, with the advent of uh, MFA, that's greatly been able to re- reduce, um, you know, account compromise. And actually, that's something we're in the process of uh, deploying in the district right now. Um, so we, we just have to really, again, it, it's finding the balance because, you know, kids K to 12, are they, can they really do MFA? Do they have a device that can do it? Or do we segregate the groups where the older students and staff get it and we leave the, um, the, uh, the K to, let's say, K to grade four alone. So mm-hmm. it's finding the balance and see what risk we're willing to accept with that. I, I really love what you're doing. Again, reason one to have you on the podcast is and you're proven that it can be done. You know, I, and maybe you're, you're coming from the outside. You, you didn't know that you couldn't do it. <laughs> so you just to come <laughs> here and assume that, you know, sometimes we assume that, well, this can't be done because you sound like you're just as right on the crest of the wave of making these changes that they really show that thought leadership of how you can transform an educational system, even without a lot of educational knowledge on the back end. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, it's persistence is perseverance and, you know, just, just getting through it. No, no challenges, uh, unbeatable, right? So. <laughs> and then so you have your mantra, you call that on your LinkedIn profile, your success is defined by your, Persistence to persevere when the odds are stacked against you. And, and unfortunately, in education, IT, that's, you need that a lot yeah. because, <laughs> you know, I, I, as I said it before, half the users there are trying to hack into you. You know, the kids are, I think, because those are kids. It's a Absolutely. game. That's what yeah. they do. Uh, so it's just another extra, extra little challenge we get to have. Well, Alwyn, thanks for spending some time with me. I really look forward to watching what you do in the next year or two. Again, thanks for being on the front line with our kids and and protecting them. Thank you, Doug. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I've been talking with Alwyn Rivero, Manager of Networking Security at Canada's Burnaby School District. If you'd like to read more about Burnaby's cybersecurity strategy and the rising threat to K-12 schools, check out Tanium's new online cyber magazine at tanium.com. To hear more conversations with today's top business leaders and security experts, make sure to subscribe to Let's Converge on your favorite podcast app. And if you liked this episode, which I know you did, 
please give us a five-star rating and recommend it to your friends. Thanks for listening. We look forward to sharing more Cyber Insights on the next episode of Let's Converge.